Good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Are you ready for the day? No matter what comes, whether there is tears or joy, it's going to be a good day, right? At about 6.30 p.m., starts a glorious day. I hope you're excited. I love seeing all the lions gear today as we celebrate a monumental day and have a great time doing that. Um, I bring greetings to you today from all of our global partners from all over the world. Um, this last week, my wife Sarah and I and some others from Woodside were able to be in, we were in Dubai meeting with all of our, not all, but many of our global partners from all over the world. I just flew in last night about 5 p.m. And um, man, I'm humbled to say the least. And um, over and over again, they asked to bring a message back to you as the congregation as we had people there meeting with us, partners of ours from the West Bank in the middle of war and had to do a lot just to get there. Um, global partners in Kiev, in the middle of Ukraine, in the middle of war, uh, running a church and helping the least of these, and numerous places in India where their religious freedoms are being taken away, in Thailand, um, West Africa where they are being persecuted from radical Islam. Um, I am overwhelmingly humbled, and, and it's so many things that God's been pushing through my heart. Even as we sat here and sang today, it was hard for me to sing. Just thinking about what my brothers and sisters all over the world are walking through, and so many times we take just this for granted. The fact that we are able to come into this place unhindered and worship and lift up the name of Jesus. I just want to remind you this is not a normal thing around the world. What we get to experience every single day. And um, I just want to take the opportunity to remind you of that for my own, own heart, because I take it for granted so much before we ever get in the Word of God. And I just want to say thank you. Every one of our, our partners, and they weren't even all there, just reiterated over and over again, can you please tell your congregation thank you? that your generosity in this church, large portions of that go to reach the world for Jesus and um, reach these individuals. And as Sarah and I prayed with and wept with partners that are just walking through loss and tragedy and just overwhelming circumstances, over and over again, they just said, I just want to say thank you. Because your generosity in the church, Woodside as a whole, is, is supporting and changing and impacting people's lives for the kingdom of God more than you know, and probably more than, than we know because I need to do a better job of reminding you of that and share stories of that. And um, it was a humbling and overwhelming week to see what God is doing and the impact that God is doing where literally I can tell you story after story, hundreds and hundreds of people in unreached areas in West Africa are coming to know Jesus. And the the church is spreading like fire in places that are hard, even though it may not seem like it here in the United States. And so before we open up the word, I just want to take a couple of moments and pray. If you pray with me, you don't know all the circumstances, and I just want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ 
those that are getting back to Nepal today and going up against human trafficking and those who want to do harm to their family and those who are in different parts of the world that are walking through hard circumstances. And um, we as the church, I want to just lay them before you as uh, God is doing great works. And I, I, I want to make sure I don't forget to pray for them as I told them I would. And uh, let's bow our heads before the Lord before we open up God's word together. God, we just come to you today thankful. First and foremost, God, thank you for the opportunity. Maybe even sometimes as it's, it's, it, it, it causes us to be a little bit lazy at times, myself included, for what we get to experience every single day, every single week in this room and outside of this room in following you. God, we ask that you would remind us of what you're doing around the world. God, I pray over all of our global partners and missionaries that are in places that are hard soil for the kingdom of God. God, would you breathe life into them? Would you continue to uh, fan a flame of fire in them to continue on in persecution, imprisonment, um, war, and all the rest? God, would you continue to do a great work in their lives and what uh, you're doing through the kingdom of God through them and through their churches and organizations and, and, and Bible schools and all the rest. God, we thank you and praise you for what you're doing, even many times when we don't get to see it. And God, I just thank you for the generosity of this place, of people when they give towards you, they're giving towards changing the world for Jesus Christ. And so God, we just thank you and praise you. Would you continue to uh, help us to, to re be rem reminded of what you're doing around the world and lay it before you as we believe in the power, the, the, the dynamic power, excuse me, God, of prayer. God, would you be with us today? Open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us in the story of Daniel. And would you be so gracious to us to be able to allow us to take a step forward in following you and what you have for us? Open up our minds and our hearts, illuminate the word of God to us. And God, it's in your great name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today, if you want to turn, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, we're continuing in a series that we've been in called The Clash of Kingdoms. And we're looking at the story of, of Daniel and seeing how Daniel's faithfulness might impact us as we are called to live out the kingdom of God in a place that oftentimes seemingly is going more and more against the things of God and what God has called us to every single day. Just to bring up speed and remind you, remember, Daniel is a Jewish man that's been taken into exile and captivity, and here he is now in Babylon before Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's, gone, he's gained great favor with, with, with Nebuchadnezzar, and he is actually one of his wise men, if you will, in the kingdom, interpreting dreams and being there to support him. And, and, and and really thriving in a culture that's opposite to what he has for him, what God has, and, and what God calls him to. And today we kind of, honestly, we take a little bit of a shift where we're taking our eyes off of, for the moment, Daniel, and really affixing them in chapter 4, as we're going to cover the entirety of chapter 4, uh, in the best of our abilities, and see how the story of Nebuchadnezzar, as we look at him specifically, how it might impact our lives. As we look at the topic of pride, I don't know about you, but there's, there's a good side of pride, right? There's a lot of you in this room, like myself, that are wearing what? You're wearing something that you're, you're proud of, that the Detroit Lions are finally, finally a pretty good team. <laughs> and our hopes and dreams tonight 
is that they will be going to the Super Bowl, right? And, and it'll be amazing. And we're taking pride in that and the, the amazing team that they've become and all the obstacles they've gone uh, overcome and all of that. There's pride in that. I mean, there's a great side of pride. You can be proud of your children and take pride in your family. And, and just as a reminder, when I just talked about leaving this week, I was just left so proud of this church. And just not the name, what's that? I don't care about any of that. Just proud of the fact that following in, in what God's called us to do, it's not just about Metro Detroit, it's about the, the nations coming to Jesus. And proud of people that are giving it all to see, see people come to know Jesus in a hard place. I'm proud of that. It's fascinating. There's an opposite side, a bad, not so great side of pride. And it's amazing how God gives you amazing illustrations along the way. Right? Uh, this week, one of the things I, I was able to do, most of the time we were in a conference room and just teaching and sharing and just equipping our partners to go back into these hard places to reach the kingdom of God. But at one point, we, we were able to go to a place. It's the highest building in the world. I don't know if you've ever seen it, uh, pictures of it or whatever, uh, Burj Khalifa, uh, Khalifa. Huge building. I think it's 2,700 feet tall. We didn't go all the way up. We went up pretty darn high. And, and I was riding at one point in a car, and a man from India told me a story about the, this building, Burj Khalifa, and why its name is what it is. And its name just means Tower of Khalifa. Like, and it's a person's name. Originally, it was Burj Dubai because it was the highest building in the world, but it was in Dubai. But something happened more than a decade ago where they went into financial crisis as Dubai is like a financial hub in the Middle, Middle East. And the president of the UAE, who was really the, kind of the ruler in Abu Dhabi, just a short bit away, says, hey, I'll bail you out of all of your financial troubles, but there's one catch. You got to change the name of really your prized possession. You have to name it after me. And honestly, the whole week I was thinking, this is almost like the Tower of Babel. Like we're going to reach to heaven and my name will be great on it. That Man, I want to be proud that, hey, I'm the most powerful person. I have my name. The, the, the greatest building in the entire world is named after me. And it's, it's fascinating because when you look at Nebuchadnezzar, you see some strong parallels when you look at his life and the text we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 4, that so much of us, not just Daniel, are all about ourselves. That pride is more prevalent probably as we look at the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar in our lives than we want to admit. And I'm just praying that the Spirit of God reveals to us today our own hearts and where these places are about uh, pride that rules in our hearts, and we'll get into it as we look at it in chapter 4 today. And just a quick update, we've been looking at it, the, we've talked about the empire of Babylon, and, and man, it was one of the greatest cities, we've talked about this a couple of times, maybe the greatest um, kingdoms to had ever existed to this point in history, and Nebuchadnezzar was, was an amazing, really, ruler, if you will, one of the most successful kings Known to history. I mean, unbelievable, did unbelievable things, ruled for over 40 years. 
and he had great pride in what he did. For one example, uh, on one part of his city walls, right, the northern outside defense uh, wall, he, it's estimated that he put 164 million bricks were used in that wall, and much of them has printed on them, or had printed on them, provided by King Nebuchadnezzar. So over and over again, he wanted people to know on that wall, hey, just in other words, I want you to know thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, I'm the king. I did this. I accomplished this. I deserve all of the credit. Humble yourselves. Praise me. I'm the king of the greatest kingdom in the world. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king by all intents and purposes as a king, but he was arrogant and prideful. And what we see in the story today is that God has a way of humbling us no matter who we are. And I just want to read some of the text, and some of it I'm just going to paraphrase because there's a lot of it. And so we're just going to start at the beginning, and what I want us to see is Man, God really opposes our pride. He opposes the pride in your life just like he opposes the pride in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And our place is a place of humility. Humility. To live out more than anything. As followers of Jesus, sure, Nebuchadnezzar, God humbles them. But more than that, as followers of Jesus, our, our lifestyle should be that of hum, humility and humble acts in following Jesus. And so... Just a couple of ways that God interacts with Nebuchadnezzar. He, he first off, when we just look in the story, he warns him of his pride, like he does all of us. I hope we can see the parallels in our own story. And I'm not going to read the first 27 verses. I'm just going to kind of tell the story and interact with the text, and then we'll read the second half. But Nebuchadnezzar, the beginning, if you want to read it later, chapter 4 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is really recounting his own life and what happens in this moment. And he's retelling a story that he's in his own home. He's living in ease. He's having a great life. He's the, really the king of the known world. He's doing great. He doesn't have a care in the world. But then, out of nowhere, his, 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 his beautiful life is interrupted by a dream that he has. You see parallels to the beginning. Chapter 1, we read about a dream that he has. Well, it's similar here. He has this dream, and it really scares him. He doesn't know exactly what it means, but it's, but it's a scary dream. He doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know how to interpret it. So like last time, parallel to, to chapter 1, he calls in all of his gurus, magicians and sorcerers and, and, and wise men, if you will, and all these different people to say, hey, can you tell me what this means? Give me answers. And just like chapter 1, they all are not very good at interpreting dreams. They don't know what it means, and they can't interpret it. So again, he brings in Daniel, who is actually now one of his very close wise men. And it's interesting. You'd think he would have learned from the first time in chapter 1 that no one else could do it, but Daniel could not just interpret the dream, but he knew it without even telling him about it. And so he brings in Daniel. And Daniel describes, again, the dream to him. And he says, this great tree grew up covering the whole world. This is his dream. It's reaching heaven. And this tree provides food and shade for all of the animals. It's this unbelievable picture of a huge tree going all the way to heaven, and it grows out over everything, and it provides food for, for all the animals, and it provides shade for all of the animals. I mean, this dream looks pretty sweet at the beginning, 
But then a voice from heaven declares, chop down the tree and leave just a stump. And I want you to put a band of iron and bronze around the stump. Gets a little scary. Okay, that's cool. There's a huge tree, but now it's getting chopped down. And in verse 16, the, the, the voice says, let this mind be chained from a man's and, let's, and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. So you can imagine, this is a little bit like, what does this mean? Like, Wait a minute, this was a great dream at first. It was a huge tree and it was doing really well and it was really impacting the whole world, but now the tree's been chopped down and it says, wait a minute, take away this person's mind and give them the mind of a beast and allow this to happen for seven period of time. So when Daniel hears the dream, he, 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 he's overwhelmed, he's alarmed. He has much fear in his own heart. I don't know about you, but again, when you have dreams that are scary, it, it torments you and he, he tells the dream, and he can tell that Daniel is even overwhelmed in the hearing of it. It says actually that he's stunned. It says Daniel is stunned, and he's alarmed. <laughs> so if Daniel's alarmed, this is a problem. In the moment, even Nebuchadnezzar can tell, like, man, this isn't good. Daniel is alarmed. So not only is my own heart alarmed, now the guy that's going to interpret it, you could tell maybe he doesn't want to share what he's about to share don't be alarmed, but Daniel's explanation confirms his terror and his fright. Daniel literally says, it's you. You're the tree. Can you imagine being there for the moment? This is awesome. There's this huge tree and it's doing all this amazing stuff, but you're the tree. The tree is you that's getting cut down. It's you. It's your kingdom. It's about to be taken from you. It's you. Your mind is about to be taken, and you're going to be driven into the wild like a beast. And then in verse 27, we, we went through 27 verses. At the end, Daniel concludes, listen to this. Therefore, O king, break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. You see, like I said before, God's so good that he warns us of our pride. He warned King Nebuchadnezzar. He gives him a dream. That's the first thing we see in the text, that he warns us of our pride. Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream, and he's so good and gracious to warn us of the pride in our own hearts. And he does the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar, so much so that Daniel, his, his spokesperson, says, man, man, why don't you respond to this? Break off the sins of your pride, and maybe God will be gracious to you. Have you ever had a check engine light come on in your car? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Nowadays, a check engine light can come on for like uh, your O2 sensor in your muffler or some random thing. And, and man, the, the, the check engine light comes on nowadays and people are like, we, we got to take care of this right now. I grew up in a world, my first car, every light on the dashboard was on. <laughs> I mean, they never went off. I had an 82 Ford Granada as my first car, and it looked like a Christmas tree on the dashboard. And that thing drove forever. Nothing happened. 
You know, nowadays it's like, oh man, the check engine light's on. Like, what does that mean? It could tell us like a lot of stuff. And now you can plug it in. There's a computer. It'll tell you exactly what it is. And I'm the kind of guy that just wants to put one of my family pictures in front of it and cover it up and be like, it's not there anymore. (laughs) The, The check engine light's there. It's probably some dumb sensor. I don't need to pay attention to that, right? Well, probably not. You probably actually need to deal with it. You see, this is kind of what it was like for Nebuchadnezzar. It's really what it's like for us as followers of Jesus. God is so good to Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, hey, there's some lights on your dashboard. They're buzzing and dinging and flashing. And God is so good, he's trying to draw Nebuchadnezzar's attention to the pride in his life that is leading him in the wrong direction, to the sin in his life that he says, hey, pay attention. Look at what's happening. It's flashing. God is so good that in a dream, he's reminding them that he needs to embrace humility, that he is not the one who's built everything he has. He is not the one who is the greatest ruler in the world. There is someone greater than him. And I just ask you just to start this morning What lights in the dashboard of your life are flashing, beeping, and staring back at you of the pride in your own heart and soul? I'll get to it in a moment, but I firmly believe all of your sin leads back to the issue of pride. And I want us just to wrestle with, we'll come back to this in a few moments, but the New Testament is not very nice in response to to our pride, that that God is not neutral towards arrogance. He's not just like, oh, it's no big deal. No, there's numerous times. In in 1 Peter 5, in, in James 4, it says over and over again the exact same phrase that God actively opposes the pride of our lives. And this is exactly what we see in Nebuchadnezzar, that God is not okay with the pride in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and he's so good that he's saying, hey, I want you to see it. I'm giving you a dream. The, the, the light in your dashboard is flashing. Pay attention here. And he does the same thing to us. It can come up in, in the brokenness in our own soul, in the, 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 the sin that we continue to go after, from the reading of God's word, from the struggles we're having in our marriage to the conviction we feel as someone from the platform teaches the word of God or in your own reading. God is so good that that the spirit of God is so gracious to us, constantly warns us of the pride in our own lives. But the question is, how do we deal with that? Look at, he goes on with, Nebuchadnezzar, and let's look at what happens in verse 28. I'm going to read all the way to, to verse 33. He says, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof. Just listen to this. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence? And for the glory of my majesty. Does that sound like someone who just rejected pride? Now listen to this, the next verse. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. 
The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Like, that's a statement. The kingdom of God rules all kingdoms, and every kingdom you have or anyone else have is only given at the hand of God. Verse 33 Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. You see, God is not okay with pride. He warns us of it, but he judges us for our sins. It's exactly what he does to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The check engine light of his life is flashing. God is so good that a dream comes to him and warns him, and hey, there's a problem here. And instead of dealing with it, he puts a picture of his own self in front of the check engine light so he can't see the warning, but he can only see his self. And he continues on, right? He, he remains just unresponsive to the warning of the dream that he has. So in content, he continues rather than changing directions, he just continues in his pride. I mean, we look at it, verse 30, is not this great? Can you just, just picture for me, I love imagination. I think we lose it as chill, like as adults, we have it as kids. And man, just picture the flannel graph if you grew up in church. King Nebuchadnezzar with a flowing garment just walking on the roof of his palace. He doesn't, he's not even talking to anyone. He's just, he's so prideful, he's talking to himself. He's reminding himself of how amazing he is when he says, Man, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty? Isn't this amazing? Maybe there's servants there like, yes, Lord. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just think of, you have this scary dream and Daniel who in the past has not only interpreted your dream and it came true, but also shared with you the power of your dream like, by, by telling you what it is before you even know about it, he does it again, and he even acknowledges there is an almighty God that you serve that is unlike anything else, but in all of it, I am so prideful, I'm going to reject the reality of the dream and continue on the way that I'm going. He says, I did this. I accomplished this. I deserve all the credit. And I just, I think it's amazing the text, it says, and right at that moment, God didn't wait a week. Well, the words were still on his lips. Well, the words were still coming out of his mouth. At that moment, while, the, while, while he's saying it, judgment falls from heaven, and the dream that he dreamed comes to fruition. Immediately, the kingdom is taken from him. Immediately, he's driven from among men. Immediately, he loses his mind, literally becomes like a beast, and he's out in the field with the animals eating grass and grows his hair out long, this long fingernails. Can you imagine just for a while, if you just, if you just were driving down the road and you see a dude in the middle of a cow pasture eating grass? Like that's the picture. But this was the guy who was the most powerful man in the world. So just imagine that picture for, for all of all of his kingdom to see. This is a guy that speaks to himself on top of buildings about himself. 
who puts millions of bricks in a wall to let people know that I am the greatest and I provide everything. And now here he is in the middle of a field eating grass like a wild animal. How humbling. I don't, I don't even need to tell you. I don't, I don't need to preach the message. You can see it there. God doesn't like pride, does he? God's not a big fan of us liking us. Because we're actually built for something the opposite of that. We are built to fully depend on God, fully worship God, fully respond to who God is and what he's done, right? How many of you as parents empty with, or, or, or struggle with the idea of empty threats? You're, you're the parent like me maybe, and you're like around Christmas time. If you don't stop, I'm taking all of your presents back to the store. And the kid looks at you like, no you ain't. I've heard this before. Or, you know, whatever it is, some empty threat. If you don't stop, I'm taking away all of your technology. And they're a young kid, and you take it away. You're like, fine, you're done. No technology for a week. That night you're eating dinner. They're just going bonkers in the restaurant. You're like, fine, you can have it. Right? No, they know. It's like empty threats because it's what we do. That's why consistency is so key in parenting. Don't say something that you're not going to bring to action, right? Well, I think sometimes we act like that with God. I think sometimes we read the Word of God and, eh. I'll just ask you. When Scripture says over and over again, that God opposes the, pri- the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you know what that opposes? Do you, do you want to be anywhere in life where God is in opposition to you? I don't. But I just go back to you. Do you, do you believe that? Because if we believe that, it should change the way we live. God is not some fickle parent that makes empty threats. No, no, God is different, right? God makes no empty threats. He says what he means, and he does what he says. He can only do that, because God can't change his character. It is who he is, right? And here, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and sanity is taken away. Why? Because he doesn't listen to the command of God, to the, the graciousness of God saying, listen, look, what's happened in your life. I will not share my glory with another. And your pride is going to be humbled. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, eh, empty threat. We'll see what happens. And you might be here today and join us online and you're like, that's awesome, Jim. I'm not a prideful person. I just want to tell you, you are. I am. You see, I firmly believe that all sin goes back to the idea of pride. Every sin you wrestle with goes back to the idea of pride. Even from the very beginning, when you think about in the garden, when man fell, when Adam and Eve fell, it goes back to pride. I'll just read for you quick. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in the second half of verse 1, it says, And he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now listen to this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows what? That when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to this. What's the reaction after he says that? So... When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. Do you hear that? You see, when she heard like, no, I could be like God. My eyes will be opened and I'll know good and evil. Man, I'll be like him. You see, all of our sin goes back to the idea that I know better than God. Or, I want to be like God. I want to make the decisions for my life. I want to follow what Jim wants. I want what Jim is, what's best for me. You could go through a whole list of all the things we wrestle with. And it all comes back to me believing the lie of Satan that something else is better than what God says. And that's pride. It goes back to me wanting to be what I want to be. And that's pride. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, right? It's the same thing. I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what's best for me rather than doing what God's called me to and what God says is good and what will bless my life and change my life and get lead to, to flourishing, right? It's literally looking at the text of Scripture and saying, I know what you say about X, but I want to believe something God, I know what you say about marriage and what makes it to flourish. But I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm prideful. I want my own way. God, I, I, I know what you say about money. But you know what, God? I, I don't believe that because I know better than you. God, I know what you say uh, about whatever it is. But God, I, I don't believe that. I, I know better than you. And I want to do it my own way. Every person in this room or joining us online, I promise you, you struggle with pride. It just bubbles to the surface in a different way. And the difference is repentance is saying, your way is better, God. I repent of believing that I know better than you. I repent of believing that I want my own way. I believe, God, your way is better. You see, it's worth noticing, when you look at his life, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't fail to perceive the warning. He didn't fail to to hear God's warning. The problem is, is that Nebuchadnezzar just flat out ignored it. There's not like he didn't know it. He didn't have a chance to understand the dream. Like, "Ah, I don't know. Maybe it means this or maybe it means this. No, right? Daniel tells him very clearly, this is what it means. He just ignored it. So I just, again, ask you, what are, the, what are the flashing lights on the door, dashboard of your life that you're just ignoring? I'll take care of that a different day. It's not impacting anyone else. Until the engine of your life blows up. And God says, hey, I told you. This is what's coming. 
I'm not going to elevate you because if you read the second half of those verses, it doesn't just say God opposes the proud. He says, but if we what? We humble ourselves, he will what? In due time, he will do what? He will exalt us. The greatest picture of this is Jesus, right? In all of it, he could have rejected what God told him, what God commanded, what God sent him to do, him as God. He could have said, man, I don't want to die on the cross for Jim's sins. I want to do it a different way. You even see in the Garden of Gethsemane him struggling and wrestling with taking the the, the weight of the world on his shoulders to, to break fellowship with his father, which he's never done before in all of eternity. And he says, God, if there's another way, could we do it that way? But your will be done. I'm submitting to your will. I'm not saying I know better. And what happens? Now he's been given a name what? That is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. So I just say today, I'm asking the Holy Spirit of God to reveal those things. You probably already know what they are, and they're flashing before your eyes now. And your conscience coupled with the Spirit of God. Because I'll just tell you, if you leave this place ignoring the signs that are in your life of pride, you are literally in opposition to God. And that is a scary place to be. That God, if you're a child of God here or online, God actually disciplines his children. And that can come in a, a bunch of different ways. If you're not a child of God, if you're not in relationship with Christ, you haven't placed your faith and trust in him, today you're going to bear the judgment of your pride yourself rather than experiencing freedom in Christ. That one day he took all of my pride on the cross for him, for all of my sins he paid. Well, if he goes on, verse 34, is that, man, what happens if we do repent? If we do say, you know what, I'm rejecting the pride of my life. Look what goes on. It says in verse 34, and at the end of the day, end of the days, excuse me, I, this is him sharing, Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And listen to this. This is someone who has seen God and learned and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He literally just said, God does whatever God does. Verse 36, and at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's a testimony. He's able to humble. I don't care who you are. I don't know how powerful you are. It doesn't matter. The God of the universe is able to humble. It's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar is repeating what God said in the dream. Right? And when we respond, even in our discipline that we have to experience sometimes because of our pride. So you might be here today and you've been walking in the pride of your sin, not wanting to loosen it or grip on, let the grip go and give it to God and respond the way God's called you to. And you might even be living in the judgment of God, disciplining you in life. But today, 
What happens if we respond in, in humbleness and repentance? That's what we see in this text. The last thing is he restores us by his grace. Like God is so good to Nebuchadnezzar. He could have just left him in the field like a, like a part of the cattle. But instead his goodness restores him. And what I want you to see in this part of the text, and you just hang on to this today, that repentance towards God leads to restoration in God. Repentance towards God leads to restoration in him as we respond. Notice what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. What, what signaled this, this restoration that he experienced? Notice, it's only when it says in the text, he lifted his eyes to heaven is why he was restored in verse 34. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, pride is looking at me. I want it my way. I know better than God. I do. Not anyone else. I can do this. Whatever it is, however pride manifests itself in our lives, you see, Nebuchadnezzar finally for once takes his eyes off of himself and firmly fixed them on the God of the universe and says, no, you, God, decide what's going on in my life. You, God, are all powerful. You, God, can humble whoever you want. And when he fixes his eyes on God, that's when God restores him, taking his eyes off of himself and looking only to God. You see, God is so good that even in our pride, he will restore us. You see, he's unlike us. I don't know about you. Do you like people that are really arrogant? I'm not a fan. And in today's culture, most people just kind of be like, I don't want to be around the person, I'm done. Narcissism runs wild in the world we live in today with social media and everything else. And most of those places, I just say, unfollow, silence, I don't want to see it. They're just consumed with their self. You see, God is so good that he doesn't just cut us off. No, when we respond appropriately, he, 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 he meets us in that place. But the, the trouble, I'll tell you, my, my conviction in today, what I'm worried about today is that there is many of you in this place or online that are like, I am so glad that so-and-so is in this room so they can hear this message today. <laughs> and that should be your cue that you're a prideful person. You see, C.S. Lewis said it. I just want to read this quick as we finish. Write in on pride, an unbelievable quote. This is what C.S. Lewis says. It is the voice of which, pride, it is the voice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when we see it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. You see, we are all prone to it. We all loathe pride when we hear it in someone else's story, and we're appalled by it in Nebuchadnezzar's story. But do we see it in our own story? Do we see it in ourselves and respond appropriately? And, and if we do, man, we, 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 experience, we experience being reconciled, in a sense, to God as we repent of our brokenness and our pride. And that's what I want you to see today as you leave, is that we humble ourselves before the true king. That's Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords who gives us a true picture of what humility looks like so that it is possible that our pride would be nailed to the cross and we could experience new life in Christ. And so today I just call you, even as we're about to sing a song, and we declare your way is better in the song.
What are the areas of your life that pride is rearing its head and you need to declare before God today, you know better. I'm tired of believing that I know better. I'm tired of experiencing brokenness because I refuse to change. I'm tired of, of walking through life as me and, and it should be you and experiencing what you know is best for my life. And I don't know what they are for each of you. Joining online, I don't know which of the parts of your life are the parts that it's rearing its head, but you know. I know right now. And so I'll invite the band to come now, and I'm just going to spend a moment. I just want us to close our eyes, sit for a moment. Would you do that? What are, as you close your eyes and you just think for a moment, I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. What are those areas of your life? What are the places of pride in your life? What are the, the moments and the places and time and the places of your heart that you say, no, God, I know better. And I just want to cover up. I want to cover up the, the grace that you've really bestowed on me in sharing today and helping reveal today on the dashboard of my heart a warning sign of the pride of my life. And I just want to cover it up today. I don't want to deal with it, God. Will you repent of those areas? That repentance leads to restoration with God. And so Holy Spirit of God, we just lay down at your feet today. All of our brokenness, all of our ugliness, all of our pride, all of our sin that rears its head, we repent of believing that other things, ourselves, know better than you. And today we respond to repentance by saying, your way is better. And I believe that, God. So God, would you rid our hearts of the brokenness of pride that started in the garden, that expresses itself in so many ways in our hearts and our souls. And we lay it down your feet as we respond to your good grace that is bestowed on us. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Do you stand to your feet as we respond? I'll call you to respond however God leads you. As we sing and can we declare that, God, your way is better. Maybe God's asking you to walk down here and kneel down at the altar and say, God, I'm relinquishing the pride of my own heart and my life. I lay it down before you. Maybe it's in your seat. Sit down, kneel before the Lord. Or maybe just to listen or to sing and declare, your way is better, God. I believe it in this place. Either way, respond to the Spirit of God. Don't ignore it. And allow God to 
work in your heart and your life. Let's sing together.